0: Hello, this is Monocle Reads. I'm Georgina Godwin. Today I'm speaking to a London-based poet and essayist. She's published two collections of poetry, Lux, in 2013, and Isn't Forever, in 2018. Her new book is Arrangements in Blue, Notes on Love and Making a Life. It's a beautiful and vulnerable memoir that explores different ways an absence of romantic love shapes a life. The book was inspired by her viral Granter essay, A Bleed of Blue. Amy Key, welcome to Monocle Reads.
1: Oh, lovely to be here, thank you.
0: Of course, it came out of your essay, but what it really came out of was the music of Joni Mitchell. Yeah. Tell us about your relationship with Joni Mitchell.
1: So I feel like I encountered Joni Mitchell's music at almost the perfect age. You know, I was 14, and I think when you're a teenager, you're really beginning to shape your understanding of the world and and. Find your agency. And I borrowed Blue from my sister, Rebecca, who is seven years older than me, so I used to be able to steal all of her things that were much cooler. And my friend and I listened to it in the dark while she was over for a sleepover. And I was kind of bewitched by it. I immediately knew that she was part of my musical canon. And through my life, and I think unlike other music that I loved when I was a teen. There's nothing nostalgic for me about Blue. It's always had this amazing currency, this kind of contemporary feeling because it's accompanied me throughout my entire life. It never seems to lose its impact or relevance. Mm -hmm.
0: The book is, it's a memoir. It's about living life without romantic love. Mm -hmm. You're 44, you haven't been in a romantic relationship since you were 22, Mm -hmm. You're gorgeous, and I I
1: think (laughs) that 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 was out of choice then. I don't know if it was out of choice. I feel like... So when I say I haven't been in a romantic relationship since I was 22, I guess what I mean is I haven't had the status of a romantic relationship since that point, when someone was my boyfriend and we were, you know, a, a recognisable item, as it were. Because actually there have been... Romantic relationships in my life. But as I became older, I realised how kind of frail and brittle they had been, and how actually what I was perceiving as romance was either just lust or crushes or unrequited love or just sexual encounters. And I think, you know, since For the past 10 years, I've kind of eschewed romantic relationships entirely because I found myself so undone by the attempts I made to find a stable romantic partner.
0: The book takes a song from the album Blue at the beginning of, of every chapter and, and that's how it's, it's structured beautifully, beautifully done. So we start with love and that's about growing up with desire and plans for your romantic life. Yeah. Tell us a bit more.
1: Yeah, so what I really love about the beginning of the album Blue is kind of Joni sets herself up on a quest she says like, I am on a lonely road and I'm looking for something what is it and I feel like that's very much how I felt you know in my teenage years I thought I would have a long rich life of romance ahead of me and and that would definitely include a long-term romantic partner. In the first chapter of the book what I'm doing really is looking back to that point the very origins of my first romantic relationships and wondering and asking myself what was going on there did i establish a pattern early and actually what i found was i did establish a pattern early of accepting more than perhaps i feel i was owed and deserved in a romantic relationship and interpreting and, and and also i think I found that in those very early romantic experiences, I responded quite often to the desire another person had for me. And rather than thinking, what do I want? What feels good for me? And I think that set me up really in my adult life for settling for a lot less than a satisfying, good romantic relationship could offer. I am on
2: a lonely road and I am travelling, 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 looking for something, what can it be? Oh, I hate you some, I hate you some, my
0: love. And I mean, you, you talk about the fact that you ask the question, you say, is it possible life without romantic love isn't so bad? Is it possible we can take as much pleasure in other loves, find new ways of incorporating romantic feelings into our lives, Mm -hmm. assign importance to crossing over thresholds that romantic love has abandoned? And that's really, I suppose, the essence of the book, isn't it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Because I think the kind of profound realisation I came to as I was writing the book was that I'd constructed my life in, in a sense around an absence, around a lack. And what the effect of that was not appreciating all that was good and realising, actually, I've built this life that has so much going for it and romantic love would be a wonderful added bonus, but if I don't have it, I'm already living a good life. I'm not deficient, I'm not lacking and it's okay to still want romantic love. I don't have to choose, Mm. but I'm not a failure if for whatever reason... It doesn't happen for me.
0: In the next chapter, it's based on Home, uh, My Old Man. But
2: when he's gone, me and them lonesome blues collide. The bed's too big, the frying pan's too.
0: You talk about your, your own life, finding a home, having a flat, having two kittens. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And at this point, I must just ask you about pet portraits. That's yes. a, a sideline. <laughs> Tell us about that.
1: Well, I was I was the, the child at school who, who was told, you know, not unkindly that they had no artistic talent whatsoever. So I, I didn't really put a lot of effort into art or enjoy art as a play. But a few years ago, when my poetry collection came out, a friend of mine created some artwork for me for the book launch and to say thank you I thought it would be very very funny to paint her dog Morris because she has a room that is full of dog portraits and I thought Sophie will appreciate this this is is the artist um, Sophie Herxheimer so I painted her dog Morris holding a book in its mouth, which looked like a very sort of floppy sandwich. And I found the whole experience very, very funny. I was really enjoying painting this. And then when I shared it with her and posted it online, people responded very, very positively to it. I think there was probably some very naive charm, you know, as though a, a precocious child had tried to to paint at like four years old and produce something that, that showed signs of some sort of future genius. And then before I know it I had people asking me to paint pets and i probably painted about a 100 or so cats and dogs parakeets a pigeon um uh, a teddy bear and then i realized i realized basically i had to stop because although the paintings look very simple they would take me days and days because i would have to over paint all the time i'd get it all wrong but I think that was it was a very joyful kind of interlude in my life. And I hope one day I'll, I'll go back to painting pets, you know, these wonderful companions that we have.
0: <laughs> well, let's go back to, to your own companions, these two kittens. This is about buying your own home. Mm. It's about the joys of decorating, of hosting, of having a real home and how the, the experience is different when you're alone.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you're um, if you're single, you know, economically, getting your own home is more of a challenge, particularly if you don't have, you know, lots of kind of family capital that can help you to buy a place. And in my even. On my 40th birthday, I thought, this is never going to happen. For me, I'm going to always be sharing and feel like a kind of weird student who hasn't graduated into into real adult life. And I think that's compounded by the kind of precarity of of renting and the kind of the real imbalance of power between landlords and, and renters. I think that having my own home and and having my two cats, you know, I've kind of crafted my own little family unit within my flat and I've so enjoyed just having a free run of all of the aesthetic choices that I could make within that home environment and make a home that is very, very welcoming and comfortable. Yeah.
0: Uh, The next chapter from Little Green is about children, Mm. about childlessness, um, and... As I say, this book is brutally honest, Oof. and you write about getting pregnant. Tell us a little bit more about that.:
1: So I got pregnant when I was 19 and I'd been at university just a few months and had a boy, you know a new boyfriend that I'd met in you know my first week at university. So it was a little bit of a calamity, and I had an abortion which wasn't any. It wasn't a kind of traumatic event. It was... I was so glad that I was able to do that. But I did do it and think, oh, you know, I probably will have children at a later point in, in my life. I didn't necessarily think that would be the only time that would happen for me.
2: child with a child pretending Weary of life you are sending home so you sign all the papers in the family name you're sad and you're sorry but you're not ashamed a little
1: green as as i didn't kind of find myself in a long-term romantic relationship in my like later adult years at first I wasn't worried because I, I kind of discounted the idea of having children and then suddenly I desperately wanted to become pregnant and to become a a mother. And I I kind of almost got there, but something something stopped me. You know, I looked into having a child on my own and having a sperm donor, you know, going as far to, you know, see a doctor and see see what the possibilities were for me but it hasn't happened you know it's some I I didn't I obviously did not make a decision to really go for it and I think that will always be a complicated part of my life because I think in another in another set of circumstances I would have loved to parent but I don't think I wanted to parent alone and in in my you know own individual set of circumstances and I think what I try to explore in that ch- chapter is just the the ambivalent you know the conflict that will always be there but that I will just learn to live live alongside
0: I mean there's a lot of I want to call it self-flagellation here. You write, now as a fat single woman in my 40s, I'm aware of the charges society has against me. I'm Mm. to blame for fatness. My singleness is a natural Mm. consequence of the fatness and the undesirability of my age is something I should accept as the way it goes for women in heteronormative life. And Mm. that is... You're eviscerating yourself. You're saying things that your worst enemy wouldn't say about you.
1: <laughs> I think I'm being, um, sadly, I think I'm being quite realistic. I think we live in a very fat phobic society. We live in an ageist society. Women' self esteem is so tethered to their romantic and sexual desirability, and I think. You know, lots of things change and there are lots of moves in, in positive directions. But then again, lots of things, unfortunately, stay the same. And I think our ideas about beauty and attractiveness are very, very limited, sadly. So I'm not trying to be cruel to myself. I'm just aware that for a certain person, they'll read this book and they'll say, oh, well, it's no surprise she hasn't got a partner you know, she hasn't looked after herself or, you know, that there'll be lots of prejudices that people will have, unfortunately.
0: The book takes you travelling. It follows your journey and both your your intellectual, your emotional and your physical journey. Mm. You talk about, in Chapter 6, Strangers, Will You Take Me As I Am? This is California. Mm. And you investigate that joy of travelling alone. Mm.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think travelling alone is something I was absolutely terrified of but now feels like a kind of this is overstating it a little bit but a superpower because knowing that you can holiday on your own and enjoy your own company and not feel lonely or shy is such a gift because not everybody gets to experience that and you know when you're in a family and you're going on family holidays you'll be encountering lots of joyfulness I'm sure but also you'll be compromising a lot for the benefit of the family unit you know trying to find this this middle ground that keeps everybody satisfied and you know selfishly I don't really have to do that I can choose my destination I can choose the rhythm of my days I can just go to bed early after a day of you know lounging about and swimming or having elaborate meals and I I tend to really rest, which some people don't really get to do so much on Mm, holiday. mm.
0: I mean, so many, so many beautiful turns of phrase here. And you had a you had a great loss, your your poetry teacher and mentor, Mm. Roddy, who loved you, who Mm. was in love with you. Mm. And that would seem perhaps to have answered all the questions you're asking (laughs) earlier in the book. Why was that not returned from your side?
1: Well I, d- I did really love Roddy but I didn't have a I didn't have a romantic attraction to him and I guess I explore this in the chapter about him There was something about our relationship that was romantic that I really cherished and valued, like the fact that we could stay in like an old couple and cook each other dinner, those sorts of things that are present in lots of romantic relationships. I got to have that with Roddy. It wasn't something that was missing from my life. And every now and then I think, oh, you know, I really wish that I wanted to... I really wish that I fancied him and and, and wanted that, but I didn't. And it would have... You know, that's the sort of relationship Roddy would have wanted and wanted with, you know, other people that he was attracted to. He wanted the big, dramatic, romantic attraction. And it wouldn't, yeah, it just wasn't going to happen for us. But when I wrote the book, I realised how, you know, how some people have, like, the great love in their life, like, you know, the big X-type character. He is kind of that for me, in a way. He's someone who I loved deeply and, and lost... And I'm very grateful he was in my life, but it was incredibly painful as well.
0: Mm. As we've said, each chapter takes a, a Journey Mitchell song, and I wonder if you're a musician. You, you talk about uh, your friend buying you a piano. Uh, <laughs> do you play?
1: So I do play piano, but I do play it quite badly. I taught myself when I was a teenager because we had a piano in our in our family home. My dad played. And I desperately wanted to teach myself to play the theme music from Twin Peaks. So <laughs> that's what really motivated me at the beginning. So I've got, you know, I still got the sheet music from from when I got that in, I think it was 1991 or 92 for Christmas. And my friend Katia, because she's crazy, bought me a piano from eBay because I was pining for a piano very deeply. And I've been teaching myself to play Joni Mitchell songs, but, again, it's quite bad, but I really I really enjoy it. And I love the idea that one day I'll have, like, a Joni repertoire that I can wheel out when I've got people over and we can have a bit of a sing-song.
0: And do you listen to music while you write?
1: No, not at all. I can't have any distraction while I'm writing. I tend to sit in bed. My cats will, like, come and sit with me on the on the cover and I'll write on my laptop... I used to be able to listen to music while I worked, but I, I can't now. I need some kind of, you know, I need to get into a flow. And unfortunately, yeah, that's all about being quiet.
0: Yeah. Now, in the last chapter, this is the last time I saw Richard, is the, is mm. the song that it's based on. It's about dreamers. All good dreamers pass this way. Yeah. Love is transformative, but it doesn't make sense to wait for romantic love to do the work of happiness for you, you yeah. say. And I think that's such a sensible thing. Yeah. Uh, just expand on that for us.
1: So I think... When you're you're single and perhaps you're desiring of a romantic relationship, it can be easy to just consider your life some kind of temporary state until you find romantic love and you're somehow solved as a person. And I really want to write against that. You don't need romantic love to create a really good life. Uh, It's okay to still want it and feel pain if it doesn't happen for you. But you should create a life with what's there not what's missing from it mm. i guess that's if there's anything i learned while writing the book it's that
2: richard got married to a figure skater and he bought her a dishwasher and a coffee percolator and he drinks at home now most nights with a tv on and all the house lights left up upright i'm gonna blow this damn candle out i don't want nobody coming over to my table i'm gonna talk to anybody about all good dreamers pass
1: this way someday
0: Uh. And do you think that society is inclusive of single people and and their needs?
1: I don't think so, not at all. I think that, you know, single people are sort of treated in a little bit of an abject way, sometimes with a sense of pity or caricature. You know, one of the most painful things that people can say to me is... Oh, I wish you would find someone, you know, with a very mournful face. <laughs> and and maybe that's OK if I'm saying to them, oh, I really would love to find someone. I'm feeling really sad. That would be an OK response. But when it's coming out of the blue because they feel like my life must be bad because I'm alone, then it's it's really painful and, and hurtful. But, you know, if I think about going on holiday and wanting to sit around the pool, all the sun loungers are in pairs and I can feel greedy for sitting on a sun lounger because I'm like, well, what if a couple comes along and they want this sun lounger? Like, I should be entitled to the world as much as people in pairs are. So it would be nice if there was a bit more consideration given to to people who aren't living life in the way that everyone is assumed to want to live it or who gets to live it that way. In
0: the first chapter, you talk about how you joke to your friend that this book would be the final needle in the coffin of your romantic life. So how has writing the book affected your romantic life or how you see and feel about it?
1: <laughs> I mean, I still feel a little bit like, oh, yeah, this is it. You know, I've, I've really done it this time. No one's ever going to want to date me because, you know, they've got way too much information about how I feel <laughs> myself how is it affected it hasn't yet I don't think I guess what I hope in in writing it and as we begin to have more of these types of conversations next time I develop romantic feelings for someone or I think I want to pursue a romantic relationship I will just feel more confident to ask for what I want and to not settle for, you know, the crumbs that someone's willing to offer me. Mm. Because if I have a romantic relationship now, it has to be really, really good because my life is good and they need to be able to add to that life.
0: Absolutely. Finally, I wanted to talk a little bit about the colour blue in art and literature because, of course, as we said, this is based on Joni Mitchell's album, Mm. Blue, and there are so many, uh, Derek Jarman, Maggie Nelson, various people who've, who've written about blue yeah tell us what it means to you
1: oh gosh i think um so i read maggie nelson's bluettes and was blown away like so many other other people and it's not that i set out to kind of write a tribute to the color blue but as i was writing i just found there was something so various about it and the relationship that blue has to things that are so important to me. And this sounds very silly, but like the sea and the sky, and the way it feels like you can just dissolve into a blue world in that space. I've always found so enchanting, and this this book gave me the chance to kind of meditate on that a little. Blue.
2: Before. Crown and anchor me. Oh, let me sail
1: Amy, thank you so much. Oh, thank you. Thank you for reading it and um, for interviewing me. It's very, very nice.
0: That's Amy Key, Arrangements in Blue, Notes on Love and Making a Life. It's published by Jonathan Cape and it's out now. You've been listening to Monocle Reads. Many thanks to the producer, Nora Hull. And you can download this show and previous episodes from our website or your preferred podcast platform. I'm Georgina Godwin. Thank you for listening.